You lived a life worth 30 other lives. What's the biggest lesson? To explore yourself, your own feelings, to really understand yourself. Most people just live with themselves. They don't really understand themselves. And I think most people are just too involved in their daily affairs. And mm. uh, they should just make a nice uh, holiday, walk lonely at the beach, relax in a hot pool, and think about uh, themselves and their life. The following is a conversation with an absolutely crazy legendary person Christoph Hoyermann. He's literally traveled to every single country in the world. He has 40 different streams of income. He's an extremely rare, one-of-a-kind personality. And what we're going to talk about is how he invests his money, how he made his money, how is he traveling the world and literally living the craziest lifestyle from his laptop. He's also sharing stories about getting kidnapped and being held hostage, as well as his adventures of investing in a walnut farm in Georgia. I can wholeheartedly recommend you listen to the entire podcast. It's absolutely bonkers. So enjoy. Good to see you. It's been many, many years. You are a consultant that literally has traveled literally the world you've been to like almost every single country and i think you're the youngest guy to ever do that and you are one hell of a personality <laughs> i hear so many crazy stories about you and uh, good stories from a lot of people uh, left and right you've helped so many people you've inspired a lot of people and i thought hey we'll be hell of a riot to have christoph on the podcast so how about, how about we do it like this? Let's start with what the hell are you doing and who the hell are you and how come you have such a crazy life? Okay, let's do that. Good. So what, what, what are you doing for a living exactly? Well, uh, it's very hard to explain because I have like 30, 40 different income streams. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I normally say is I help people to become more free and wealthy. Yeah, by using the flag theory. It's a kind of strategy people can use to diversify themselves internationally and to relocate certain aspects of their life to other countries. And that's basically what I'm doing. I traveled almost all the world. I've been to every single UN country around the world. Um, I've been there. I know what's working there and what's not working there. And I can uh, yeah, consult uh, the best options for residency, citizenship, bank account, insurance, uh, whatever is the flag yeah basically everything we can outsource into other countries is a so-called flag yeah mm. for example also i mean controversial things where your future wife is living or uh, where mm. your kids are born even that is a flag and it can give you like a new citizenship for example mm. but the most uh, interesting ones are generally your residency where you pay taxes and uh, the playground where you like to live, and that's uh, what many people confuse. You don't need to live where you pay taxes. Yeah, you can just uh, do it uh, the other way around. Uh, mm. Live in a high tax country, but pay taxes nowhere because you're not a tax resident. Mm. Crazy, yeah. That that's what you do, and you're you're doing these consulting sessions. I've sent many of my clients to you, you know, every time we have a client making more and more money and they're like, damn, now I'm, I'm making all this money. I'm, I'm paying all these taxes. Max, can you help me? And I'm like, you know, I'm not a lawyer, uh, but I know a guy that is very good at consulting people with setting up their, you know, their life in a way so they can minimize taxes and optimize them. And then I always send them to you and I always hear very good feedback. And I do also know that You've even consulted people in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean when you were um, 
when you were sailing to what Brazil or something like that, right? Yeah, it was two years ago. We sailed the Atlantic in my catamaran. Yeah, <laughs> I just love the way you're like, yeah, <laughs> I sailed the Atlantic in my catamaran. How else would you do that? <laughs> Have you always been like that, or was that kind of like something that has developed over time? That definitely develop over time. Yeah, if you see like um, 15 years ago. When I graduated from school, like I was a typical uh, computer kid, uh, playing games 100 hours mm. a week mm, and basically having no, no social life at all. <laughs> and uh, actually never traveled on my own until I was like uh, 18 or 19. Mm. So I definitely wasn't born like this. It uh, developed over time. Um, basically, it started after mm. school. I spent a year in New Zealand, uh, like a voluntary year. And uh, there, like my travel passion started. And then over time, during my studies in Germany, it went, uh, it, it grew and grew. And um, yeah, at, at some point, even when I was studying, I was almost traveling half of the time. Yeah? Damn, man. How old are you now? I'm 32. Man, so you were almost the same age. I'm 33. Um, so that's crazy. And I'm, I'm reading it on your Instagram. So you got the UN 197 out of 197, UN plus, you traveled 241 out of 266. And what is what is TCC? But it's like kind of a travel club. It's the oldest travel mm. club uh, existing, an American one, and it like has 330 territories. So, for example, it doesn't only count Spain. It also counts like the Canary Islands, the Balearic Islands, which makes sense for me because yeah. islands always have an interesting uh, life of their own. Yeah? Man, and and I'm just re and this is here's the crazy thing. Like your and this is what I love from like a marketing side of thing. Um, you have a way, way crazier lifestyle than most like influencer chodes out there. You're literally, you don't give a shit how your Instagram looks like. You're just posting the stuff that you like. You got 40,000 followers, but those are 40,000. I'm assuming very diehard fans. And when I just look at your, um, your highlights on Instagram, and by the way, for the listeners, Christoph uh, with a CH and a PH at the end, dot today, that's his Instagram. And if I look at your Instagram, at your highlights, it just says Victoria Falls, South Pole, Timbuktu, Antarctica, Galapagos, Pakistan, Brazil, Afghanistan, Burj Al Arab, Palau, Errol Sea, Syria. <laughs> oh, yeah. You all, don't you have also like a walnut farm in Paraguay or something like that? In Georgia, yes. That's it. <laughs> How the hell did you get the walnuts? Yeah, I mean, um, Christoph Today is also my travel blog, so it's a website, so you can look up some of my adventures there. Uh, walnuts are actually my biggest investment. Already six years, we operate the biggest walnut plantation down in the country of Georgia. So that's kind of an interesting topic we could potentially speak about. Yeah. Absolutely. I know nothing about walnuts. Um, how the hell did you get to walnuts? Why is it a good investment and, and how can I get in? <laughs> Well, you could get in a couple of years ago. Now we basically closed it. Uh, we want to keep the walnuts for ourselves. Um, unless you come with a couple of hundred thousand dollars, then it's still possible. Um, mm. The idea basically is um, a good friend of mine, or we met him like 10 years ago, went to Georgia for tax reasons. He's like a trader since he's 14. And he didn't want to trade all his life. He also wanted to do something on the ground, something he can touch. So he first uh, said, oh, Christoph, let's start a blueberry plantation. Uh, well, it uh, uh, wasn't blueberries then. 
uh, a while after we decided for walnuts. Back then, that was 2017. I got a lot of money from crypto. It was like the first crypto mm. summer. Um, many people made a lot of money from Bitcoin and so on, me as well. But I was wise enough to cash out mm. and reinvest the um, earnings into like real investments, like, for example, this walnut plantation. And we are running this for six years now. We are basically in the last year before it gets profitable. So, so you just so you bought the land, planted walnuts on it, and I guess you're paying workers there to harvest them, and and then you just export them. Yes, so we export them mostly to Arab countries or Russia or other countries, a lot of locally as well. I mean, basically what we do is the following. It's, it's easier to understand like this. We grow Californian walnuts. And in California, um, they have a lot of problematic conditions. It's very arid there, almost no water anymore, no power, uh, and so on and so on. And in Georgia, basically, we can do it five times cheaper than in California mm -hmm. for the same or even superior quality. How did you have, how did you have that idea? I mean, so you are like, I don't get it. Like, how does one have the idea of like, let's do walnuts. Hey, they don't grow as well in California. Why don't we grow them in Georgia? I mean, what was the guy, guy walk me through the logic. Yeah, I mean, I always, uh, I'm known for these kinds of investments into like real things, into working companies, which provide a cash flow. Yeah, I'm not a guy to like just buy gold and put it away in a storage and then hope for the apocalypse or just hmm. to buy stocks and to wait for the next crisis. For me, I need something I can touch, which is really providing value. Yeah? And for mm. many people, it sounds crazy. It's a big risk. But for me, it's not a big risk because I know the people behind it. I trust the people behind it. And I can go there every year and see how the trees grow. And um, it's like a very long-term investment. All my investments are very long-term, um, often five to 10 years before they provide the cash flow. Mm -hmm. But if they do, then uh, yeah, they provide a very constant flow of revenue. And that's yeah. very nice about it. Eh? Sick. What, uh, what, what profit margins are we talking about for a walnut farm? Oh, oh, that can be quite high. I mean, we have to say we are far bigger than we ever expected. Yeah, When hmm. we started this project six years ago, um, we didn't even expect how big we are now. Like, for example, just a couple of months ago, we got a 2 million euro loan from a local bank who nice. extend our operations. Yeah, um, now we basically, um, it's two, two more years to, to be profitable, but uh, the basically revenue will double. So <laughs> we have high profit margins basically on the thing I invested, I will probably get back uh, more than 50% a year. Damn, freaking walnuts, man. Um, like I said, man, it's always so crazy to like watch what you're doing and you're always doing this with such a nonchalant attitude. <laughs> and uh, it's fascinating, man. So where are you right now? I'm currently in uh, South Tyrol in Italy. Ah, so not even that far away. We're in the, in the Austrian Alps right now. What's your travel plans now? Well, I'm currently here with my uh, girlfriend and her son. So we're doing some family vacations and I'm going over to the Piemont area next week. Mm -hmm. uh, that's um, basically my favorite area in Europe or in the world uh, where a lot of wine grows. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm a wine lover. I also have a wine uh, a vineyard in Argentina. Yeah, that's of the course. other investment. Uh, not in Georgia, but in Argentina. I do my own wine. 
but in Europe, mm. I like to be in Italy uh, to drink a lot of wine, uh, have my nice steak and enjoy the area. Yeah? Man. And then, I mean, since you almost got all the countries, like what's, what's left, what is like the most immediate thing where you're saying, okay, that's the one, one thing that you want to check off. I mean, we have a big cruise coming up in September. We're doing like a, almost a month cruise from Iceland to Alaska over the Northwest Passage. It's basically just a kind of waterway, the biggest wave from Atlantic to Pacific, but it's basically full of ice most of the year. So normal ships cannot go through, mm. but we are like a special icebreaker and try <laughs> to find some polar bears. Yeah. Wait, who's we? You and your girlfriend are? Yeah. Damn. <laughs> what was like, I'm, I mean, I'm sure you've had I'm sure you've had like places where you said, okay, that's the most epic place that I want to go to that you went pretty fast. And then I'm sure you've had places where you didn't expect much, but you were kind of like mind blown. Like you were positively supply surprised. I know for me, it was one of the biggest positive surprises was uh, Iceland because I went there during the pandemic, you know, I mean, I've, se I've seen you traveling like crazy during the pandemic as well. You just went to all the cities, all the countries that had like no restrictions. And it kind of was similar to me and me and my girlfriend, we were also in, um, in Finland and, you know, Finland was shutting down and Iceland was one of the few places that was just kind of open. So you just, you just had to go there and took a, and take a, a COVID test and then wait 24 hours, like not even 24 hours. I waited for like 10 hours, got the results. Then we could move freely. And I didn't expect anything of Iceland. Also, I didn't know anything. And uh, we went there and it was legit one of the most magical freaking places that I've ever seen. Plus, I met the mountain from uh, Game of Thrones. He the, oh, legitimately, yeah. the, oh, it was so funny. It was like we were flying there, and in my head, I'm like, who's famous from Iceland? The only person I knew was the mountain. And I'm like, well, it would be funny if we ran into him. And we we're in Reykjavik and we're going, we wanted to go to a restaurant, but it was closed. So we randomly went to another one that was close by. We walk in, we eat, and it was a really good restaurant. I loved the food there. And it had like a, like a milk glass door, you know, like you can't fully see through. And all of a sudden, I see this silhouette appear in front of the door, and it was huge. And I literally think to my head, I'm like, this literally looks like some guy that is as tall as the mountain. And the door opens, and it's the freaking mountain walking in with his pregnant wife back then. And I'm telling my girlfriend, I'm like, it's the, it's the mountain guy. I'm telling you, it's the one guy I know. Yeah. And he just comes in, and the and the freaking owner shakes his hand. You know, I I guess it was his his like main restaurant that he always went to. Um, but yeah, like Iceland was legit one of the best places I've ever been to. Legitimate. Um, what about yours? What was like the best place you've ever always wanted to go to? And what was kind of like the biggest surprise? Yeah, I mean, for me, I really like the polar regions as well. Iceland is great, but if you go even further, like to Greenland or the Arctic or the Antarctic, like that's a very magical place. I've been to Antarctica now four times. Mm. Um, most people yeah. never been, and I can really recommend to go there. Of course, it's expensive, um, but it got quite affordable, affordable nowadays, and it's just magic. And mm. uh, other than that, it's it's mostly the, the countries which are quite dangerous or which are hmm. considered quite dangerous, I would say. We had great experiences like traveling through Syria and the civil war, traveling in Afghanistan just shortly before the Taliban took over, um, North Korea, uh, which was a great tour I did two weeks there. Um, so those countries, which are not very well known, they provide a lot of interesting experiences. And um, yeah, it's just fun to be there. Damn, I remember you posting 
about being in Afghanistan literally a couple of weeks before before the Taliban took back. And I ha- and the first person I thought of was you. I was like, uh, oh, man, let me check if he's still there. And uh, you had already traveled on. I mean, what what was so special about, uh, let's say, Afghanistan in your in your experience? Yeah, the big issue is um, you cannot really travel safely at that time in Afghanistan. Yeah, it was quite mm. a risk to, do, to go to certain places. You mostly had to fly, but sometimes you had to take a car and hide. Mm. Um, you really have to blend in as a local, which is quite hard for me. I'm a two-meter guy. Um, I will oh, never sure. be the local. Um, but uh, they we got like to a local tailor and the tailor got us local dresses. So at mm. least we tried to blend in and like the local Afghani dress. And um, yeah, um, then you just uh, have very like intense um, contacts to the to the local people. You often drink tea for hours, talk with them. And uh, I mean, you need really good guides um, to be safe and to, mm. to make yourself understand. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say in those conflict zones, you always feel yourself more. You feel more that you live, you're more gracious that you live uh, because mm. something could happen anytime. And uh, that uh, it's like a patent awareness, I would say, which, mm. which makes you focus more on the travel experience. Yeah, yeah man. <laughs> have you, I mean, have you ever been in like in a legitimately dangerous situation where you were like, okay, that was a close call? I was never robbed in my life, actually. Hmm. I once was kidnapped, so to speak, or taken hostage for a couple of days <laughs> in the desert of Sudan. Yeah, Sudan nowadays is a civil war there. Back then, I was, was in 219. And we went to like a remote place in the desert, which is actually considered uh, uh, terra nullius. Terra nullius means it's basically a part which no country of the world recognizes. Mm-hmm. So basically, one of the few territories no one wants to have so that our idea was to go there to do our own government. Yeah, I wanted to declare my own state. That's why I traveled there. Like uh, three days uh, with a jeep through the desert. Um, I declared my own state there. Uh, but um, I didn't know of that. There were still were already people there. And they were gold miners and they found gold. And they were thinking we want to steal their gold. Mm. So they got quite aggressive and uh, took us hostage. We had to wait for like the chief to come for two days. We had to stay there, and then the chief um, like um, did justice on us. Uh, luckily, we could convince him to to not kill us. Um, in the end, uh, basically, we had this this scene from a from like a video you sometimes see before the people get beheaded. Yeah, yeah. You have to you have to tell your name and your where you're from and your birth date and so on in the camera. Um, so basically, if you ever come back, they will see it's you, and then they kill you. Uh, but we would uh, we were just let go and could drive home. <laughs> it's all on my travel blog so the adventure christopher today also the instagram it's all on there everyone can read about it and see the pictures fuck man i had no idea i mean you know i just see you traveling through through your instagram and i'm assuming you must have probably run into i mean but the way you just told it like the story is like yeah i got taken hostage fuck man um crazy so and and that's kind of like i guess that's probably the the interesting part about about what you're doing on your instagram it's it's such an organic following and it like again for me as a marketer and i'm teaching my clients how to build brands how to go viral on instagram and so on and so forth you're kind of breaking all the rules all of them but you still have such a solid following and uh, I know you have a lot of income streams, but for example, the consulting, I'm sure 
that that brand that you've built up really helps with the consulting business as well. So what I'd be really curious, have have you ever put any thought into like your branding on Instagram or is it all just whatever or like what's going on in your mind when you think about that? I mean, you have to understand what you're seeing or what you're following is my private account and I just use it privately. I just have a like passion for making pictures and for making like pictures nicer and posting them. It's all like for my personal pleasure. And if other people like it, of course, it's nice. But I have no idea, um, like basically I have no intention of doing any marketing with that channel. We have business channels. I have a startendos.ch Instagram channel as well. This check. is quite professional, I would, I would say. Do you, do you, do you, let me, let me check that. Uh, yeah, I see it. So do you, do you know where you're getting more traffic from, from the professional schattenlos.ch or from your personal? Well, in the end, uh, I don't think I get too much traffic from those social media things anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I get a lot of traffic from Facebook because I have this group of 30,000 people. Um, but most uh, traffic I get is by recommendation from other mm. people, from clients, uh, organically, because I have so many very well-written, uh, long uh, articles. And if you search for like uh, anything related to immigration or tax optimization, especially in German language, but sometimes also in English, uh, my blog will appear naturally. And for me, that's the far mm. more convenient and mm. far better marketing uh, because uh, you don't want to be too dependent on instagram on yeah. google on facebook ads whatever like i'm mm -hmm. not dependent on all of this i have like 20 different channels where clients come to or come from um but i couldn't really say um yeah it's nice it's a couple of clients come but it's i'm not overly dependent on it yeah mm -hmm. Yeah, man, it, it's, it's very fascinating to see and of course yeah you know when your stuff comes up on google so of course very very powerful yeah i mean do you do you even think about staying in one place at a time is that on your radar sometime in the future or are you just gonna perpetually travel still well i will definitely do that now i'm one week in one place in tyrol uh, because my uh, girlfriend really wanted it uh, yeah she's quite stressed that we move so fast every two three days in another place um, but uh, yeah, now we are weak in the place and um, it will naturally get slower because I run out of destinations. I still have a lot of territories I want to visit. Yeah, I want to make this TCC list we spoke earlier about full, like this 330 territories I want to visit. It's still like 50 to go, but that's relatively fast and it's not difficult. It's mostly very pleasant islands in the Pacific somewhere, mm -hmm. hard to get to but uh, very pleasant, uh, even boring maybe holidays, but I still want to do it. And then of course, I want to revisit some countries. There's big countries like China, Russia, Brazil, the States and so on, where there's so much to see, where even a month, couple of months I've already been there is far too less to really explore them. And then there's mm. of course other countries um, which uh, don't have that much attractions. Yeah, I don't want to, um, if, I, if I over um, do it, um, pick up every sand cone in the Sahara or see every tree in the Russian S Siberia. Yeah, that's that's not really needed. There is some travel clubs which like um, distinguish the world in like 1,500 territories. Aha. That's too much. That's too much for me. There's people doing that, but I wouldn't say I won't do that. I will still uh, maybe stay three months in a place uh, yeah. to really like dig into the places I want to see. I made a list actually 
my top 100 places or so where I want to live three months for the next couple of decades. And then uh, let's see, maybe in, in some places in Long Island. Damn. I mean, you know, I know it from my times when I when I was touring the world with my first business, the dating advice business. Every Monday was a travel day. So every Monday we would travel to a new place. And that was freaking tough. Like after three, four years, I was so burnt out. I mean, I also did public speaking three times per week. So, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and a little bit of Sunday was just me coaching public speaking and so on and so forth. So that was probably a big contributor. But I got really burnt out from traveling in like 2016. And then I still kind of pulled myself through until 2018 and then kind of like I, I quote unquote settled down first in uh, Helsinki and then in Kiev. And it took me very, very, very long time to even be hyped about traveling again. And uh, this year now, 2023 was the first year where I did like almost perpetual traveling again for six months. I think we started in like February, January, February. And then, you know, we went to Japan and, 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 and Dubai for the first time and all these, all these cool places. But now I'm again, I'm like, that's it. Mm -hmm. Like August, I'm going to spend at home in Austria. Is it, do you ever feel burnt out from traveling or is it like full on? Your no, thing? I more feel burnt out if I stay too long in a place, I really hmm. need to say. Yeah, it's just a thing of routine. Yeah, it's very hard for, for people to get a routine if you're traveling yeah. that, that long. But I do that for 10 years and my routine is traveling. Hmm. And I do my consultings mostly early in the morning, like from 7 to 10, I do two consultings. Then I do a little bit of work in the evening. Uh, I mean, that changed all over time. Yeah, In the beginning, first five years, I was basically alone. I didn't have any employees and so on. Now I have a good team. I have like five full-time employees, numerous extra freelancers and so on. And now basically I need to do nothing. Yeah, I can easily just um, hop on my boat uh, and sail around the world one week without any internet or problem at all. That's the nice mm. thing about it. But if I want to, there's always things to do. I can easily work 12 hours a day and uh, always find nice uh, new things to to explain about. Yeah, that's the nice thing being an entrepreneur with like uh, a business with so many income streams. Yeah, yeah. you mentioned consulting. Um, that's nowadays a relatively um, small part of my income or of my business. Yeah, we still do the consulting, but I mostly do the consulting not because I need to, because I need the money or so, because I have fun doing it and uh, I would say there's relatively few if no other guys who, be, who are able to do that on my standards and on my competence level my experience level and that's mm -hmm. the main thing I'm still doing that yeah because it's fun helping people to, to get out of uh, the tech system and so on for me at least yeah I know you're passionate about this man and I, I I mean I remember like the first time we spoke I think it was 2016 when I had a US company. You helped me with that. You, you consulted me there. And then I think we spoke again in 2018 or 19 when I um, set up my European company in the EU. You were, again, really helpful. And yeah, I know like you're doing this out of passion. Like you don't believe, I'm not putting, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you don't believe in the system. You don't believe in taxes and so on and so forth. So, uh, and you really, you're really there with your whole heart and your whole passion, and it's very inspiring to see that. Uh, you kind of mentioned routine. I mean, I'm a super routinized person. Like I have to get up. You know, like I do the same thing every morning. I go to the bathroom. I weigh myself. I go on the walking treadmill. I do this and that. Like I plan everything meticulously, and I know it throws me off when I'm traveling. 
that's why like usually when i go somewhere i try to go there for a month we were in japan for a month so you know once the jet lag is gone i have the same routine there i hit the gym i eat yada 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 do you have that at all do you have like a morning routine apart from you know doing your consultings in the morning and doing work in the evening not really yeah i mean i i wake up i need three minutes uh, to to fresh myself and then i'm ready to do the consultings yeah <laughs> nice. um, i don't uh, need to do any any walks or drink my coffee i don't drink any coffee at all so um yeah it, it, it changed over time back then when i was studying i was like really a night owl i went to bed like at four in the morning sleeping until 12 or even later but that changed and um, i'm still like a late person so to speak i have late dinners i i like to stay stay bring my wine um hmm. go to bed like one or two but for me it's not a big deal to wake up at seven eight and uh, do my things and then have a free day yeah and that's also the reason why i like to spend time in latin america or europe as well but not so much in asia because i don't like the time zones yeah? most of my clients mm. are in europe and if i have to work in asia it's basically always in the evenings and um, mm. i like to do all work in the morning and then only like a couple of emails whatever in the evening whenever yeah. i have time for it and yeah. um, i don't really like um, to to block my evenings for work yeah, oh, that's interesting. That's freaking interesting. What does your family say? Are you the only one in your family that travels like this, like crazy? That crazy, yes. Uh, but hmm. basically, I could convince my brother to do the same. No uh, shit. One of my brothers working full-time for me for a couple of years now. That basically developed during the pandemic. He was traveling with me like six weeks through Sweden, uh, mm. Croatia on the boat and so on. And uh, basically, by staying in the same room, uh, hearing me speak to my clients, he got a lot of info as well. Nah. And he started a consultant, and now he does a lot of work for me in the more oh, like shit. sensitive areas. And my other brother, it's, it's quite kind of interesting story. I mean, my other brother is one year younger than me. We started to study at the same time uh, because I was in New Zealand for a year. Hmm. He studied directly. We we um, studied exactly the same without speaking to each other. Yeah, we wanted to study exactly the same. He went to Passau, I went to Konstanz, like different German towns. And he is like also very ambitious. He's like a career guy. He now did his uh, like fourth master in Harvard in the US. <laughs> and now works like for a biotech company in the US. And so we were always kind of competitors. He chose like the more traditional career way. I chose the more like, um, yeah, um, ambiguous way. And, um, but now we are, we are, we are quite good, good friends, I would say. Um, like the competition from our youth where we hardly spoke to each other and had a lot of fights is now like, uh, yeah, it's, it's now a very good relationship. Yeah. That's dope, man. It's funny. Like my brother and I were very different. We went completely different routes also. And, um, I mean, it's so funny that you mentioned COVID because it was one of the best things to do to watch, like for me on social media, to watch everybody freak out during COVID. And then I saw you just like, fuck this. I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> you just like, you went from country to country to country. And I got to say like my COVID experience was pretty awesome too. I, at first I was in Kiev where nobody gives a damn. I mean, typically Eastern European um, mentality of like, officially we have the lockdown, but on the level of every normal person, everything is open. Like we would go to restaurants and they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. Come over. Just come in through the back entrance. And then, um, I mean, I, I remember I, and on my on uh, 26th of June, 2020, my 30th birthday, 
we just threw giant party in my in a house that we just rented. It was like 60 people there, pool. Like nobody even knew that there was a pandemic. And then, you know, I would like upload stories of us partying and my friends in Austria that were full on like locked down for the last six months, whatever, how many months it was then. And like, you know, get all the masks and everything. And they're like, hey, are you posting old stories? I'm like, no, it's just like in a country that is not freaking going ballistic. And um, and then, like I said, and then later, you know, we went to Iceland. Uh, we were in Croatia. Um, where else did we go in 2020? Switzerland, when it was still cool before they started losing their, their cool. Um, and like everywhere we went, like the airports were empty. There was no lines. Everything was cheap. Like every hotel was hyped to have us. It was like we went to all these beautiful touristic areas and nobody was there. And it was so nice. Um, yeah, definitely. I had the same experience. Nowadays, yeah. now in summer, it's so full. It's so crowded. It's not really enjoyable. I really miss the good old COVID times. Um, <laughs> exactly. I mean... I, I had to escape and then I really wanted to make a point, travel as much as possible. In the end, I probably traveled three years, 50 countries, no lockdown at all for me. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's possible. Yeah, I had to do a lot of um, nose tests and so on. Uh, but in the end, um, I, I had my freedom and yeah. uh, sailed the, the Atlantic on my own boat. Uh, that was the nicest idea anyway. Just mm. get a boat and on land you have a lockdown on sea, you just sail wherever you want. Yeah. I mean, uh, that it was boat... actually funny. We were, we, were, we were in Spain in a marina, and then the marina was closed down for two weeks. No boat could leave. <laughs> and five minutes before midnight, before that like, took effect, we just fled Spain and <laughs> sailed straight to the Canary Islands, which had like less stringent rules. Uh, <laughs> genius. I mean, yeah, like I said, and that's, that's the thing. Like, <clears throat> we experienced actually quite a surge in our business because, you know, we're helping people build their own business online from scratch. Because people were like, wait a minute, this sucks. Like, I can't work. I lost my job. Can't leave the country. Have no income. And then, you know, like, I already think that it got really bad with infringing on everybody's personal rights. But then it could have gotten even crazier, right? And a lot of people are like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, do we are we going to have like a vaccine passport and stuff like that? Are we going to get like retina scans to use the freaking public transport and stuff like that? So... For a lot of people, it was really a wake-up call. Like, hold on a second. The state is not there to protect me. The people are not there to protect me. Like, if if shit hits the fan, it's everybody fending on their own. Sure, there was people who were holding together, but people were scared. Um, the state was just, like, infringing on your rights more and more and more. Uh, jobs were just being lost. Like, people quit their jobs or lost their jobs out of nowhere. And um, and it was a wake up call for a lot of people. Like we've had so many clients that they were making their first 10K a month after like a couple of months. And they're like, hey, you know, Max, you know how this started? I got fired during COVID. And then I was like, now or never. And now I'm in your program and now I'm crushing it. So that was, that was a huge wake up call for a lot of people. Like, buddy, you're not as safe as you think. You are effed if you're not stepping up and, you know, creating your own rules. And, you know, like you're living this. I, I think I live it, but you're living it on, on an even crazier level. So it's fucking important to be autonomous and to have options. Yes, it's very important. Just always have a plan B and not also plan B, also plan C and D. Mm. Like when COVID started, I was in, in Yemen, also like a very poor civil war-torn country. I was evacuated by the last flight and then I basically had one night in Cairo. 
Cairo mm. was closing down the, the airport the next day and they had to see where I'm going to. And they had a quite adventurous uh, escape. And I flew from Cairo to Dubai, uh, last flight from Dubai to Sao Paulo in Brazil, last flight over the Atlantic from Dubai mm. to pa uh, from Sao Paulo to Panama. I was Panama resident. I thought, oh, maybe I go to Panama. Uh, well, luckily I didn't because Panama had one of the strictest lockdowns, like mm. six months straight. You couldn't basically leave your house. Um, so um, I was lucky to go to Mexico. Mexico didn't even start until one month was over. And then they started, mm. well, I said, I fly to Sweden now. Sweden was already basically nice, no lockdowns at all. Mm. I traveled full time through Sweden. I think I was skiing in the mm. last open ski area in the world in Sweden where everyone was in lockdown. And then when summer started, I went over to Croatia, which recently opened up mm. and a little time later bought my boat. So for me, that was like an amazing time, amazing travel time without much restrictions. Yeah. So you just bought that boat in Croatia. You were like, hey, I need a catamaran. Did you have any, did, do you know how to, did you know how to sail when you bought the boat? Well, I always had the dream to do uh, like have our own boat. Uh, I basically always said I first want to travel all countries in the world. And then I fulfilled this dream of, of sailing. Um, however, like one intern of me, like an employee who briefly worked for me, um, he is now basically the captain of my boat. And because he told me he, he was like growing up on boats, he lived long parts of his life on boats. And we had this idea um, to charter a boat in Croatia. And if we like see we fit together, we have a nice time, we maybe buy, buy one because it was now the right time. Um, I could I could travel, but I couldn't travel to new places. And like to 20 to 21, uh, for one year I was traveling quite a lot, but I didn't travel to any new places on my list. So I thought it was a good time to have a boat and try out this lifestyle during this time and have a lot of freedoms uh, why other people don't have freedom. And uh, yeah, in the end we did that and uh, we sailed a long way from Croatia all the way to Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. Hmm. From there, all the way up to like Jamaica, then Panama, Colombia. Now we are currently in Guatemala. Um, so we probably did over 20,000 miles already, nautical miles. And Damn. How many people were you on that boat? Always depending. Like over the Atlantic, we were four couples, so four girls and four guys. Um, nice. So up to 10 people you can fit on that boat. Yeah. Damn. Did you have to like work in shifts? Like while one is on the up on deck, the other one sleeps in the bed or something like that? Yeah, definitely. You always have to have uh, one guy up or one girl up um, at night to see that you're not ramming any container ships or mm. sleeping whales or whatever. Yeah, um, I mean, it really depends which route you take. Um, like the route from like Cape Verde to Brazil, we took takes around twelve days, and it's very very nice because basically no waves, no wind. Um, you kind of really sail. Um, just have to motor through. Mm. But um, basically, the Atlantic is like a mirror. We even jumped in the middle of the Atlantic, like 5,000 meters deep. You just jumped in and swam around uh, because it was so so nice and uh, clean and, and clear. Yeah. Damn. I, I don't know, man. I'm I'm scared of sailing. I don't know. I'm, I don't like the idea of being in the middle of the ocean. I don't know. I've seen too many movies or something like that, maybe. To me, I mean, sailing maybe, yeah, in the Mediterranean, but I just don't have the balls to sail over a freaking ocean. Did you Did you guys run into any trouble, into any dangerous situations? We run into trouble quite a lot of times, but not in the middle of the ocean. Um, mm. So, for example, just recently, two months ago, 
uh, our, our boat was raided by the Honduran army. Yeah, they tried to place drugs on our boat to seize no them and put people in prison and so on. Um, so that was quite a tough situation, but in the end we managed and um, even got some, yeah, got some restitution. Um, but yeah, you can, always uh, things can happen. Uh, some uh, and it, it's quite a surprise if, if suddenly like, like 20 highly armed military men board your boat and um, like force you to go to the military base. Luckily, we didn't go to the military base. We just went to another island. Uh, Wait, okay, hold on. Protection. Yeah. <laughs> All right, hold on. So walk me through it. So you're on the boat doing your thing. Some army boat comes up and they're like, stop waving their guns, I, I guess. I mean, the story is a bit uh, bit, bit larger, obviously. So um, the boat was coming from Colombia. Yeah, typical drag heaven. Um, it was going to Honduras and um, it was coming without lights because this area is notorious for pirates. Yeah, in some <laughs> parts of the world, there's still pirates and you don't want to be discovered. So you sail without any light. Uh, and my captain did the mistake. Uh, he didn't register the boat for the authorities. So in the end, uh, yeah, they thought it was a, a boat carrying drugs and they uh, yeah, basically boarded it and uh, forced it to come with them. But in the end, of course, uh, they searched the boat, didn't find anything, and then they probably tried to put their own drugs on it in order to find something. I mean, this is uh, shithole countries that can yeah. easily happen there. But then, how how do you know that they've tried to put drugs on? I mean, that's the normal how, thing how, you can how, expect. Yeah, my crew had to be up like for twenty four hours straight with like their cameras in hand all the time in order to prevent mm. this. Huh? So they, they, you guys were filming the we army were guys. Filming everything um, to make sure that they a, don't. A video coming out of it soon. Oh, um, no I, I, I wasn't on boat. Yeah, it, it was like my captain and two German friends of him delivering mm -hmm. it to Honduras. I was already there. Mm -hmm. I was basically managing everything from the island. I was even flying my drone over the boat with all the army and so on. So <laughs> it was quite a quite a funny story. And um, I got like a lawyer and. Uh, even got like contact to the Minister of Tourism of Honduras and things like that, and they like uh, yeah made the situation a bit better in the end. They apologized or or how exactly? Yeah, they apologized. Yeah. And I mean, it's a smart move. I would you know I'm a dumb Austrian kid from the middle of the Austrian Alps. I'm naive. I wouldn't have had the idea to like, hey, let's film these guys so they don't plan any freaking drugs. I would be yeah. all like, go ahead and search, guys. I'm sure you're not going to find anything. I'll be all honest, you know, and, and they're like, yeah, we found cocaine. I'm like, that's not mine. What the hell? <laughs> I would have been, I would have been majorly screwed. Um, so yeah, smart idea, man. Um, and did you bump into any freaking sleeping whales or something? Not yet, but we bumped into some turtles and um, we saw whales, uh, but luckily we didn't bump in them. Mm. So, I mean, the catamaran is nice. The catamaran cannot really sink. It can just like flip over. But then you basically have life upside down. And so that's not the, the big problem. What is a big problem normally in boats is the water. Yeah. And we had friends sailing in a little boat, the same route as us. And there were three people with 300 liters water for three weeks. Mm. Um, our boat, uh, we basically need 300 liters an, an, an hour because we had four girls on board. <laughs> and they want to shower every day twice. Uh, so, luckily, our boat has like a water maker. We can like desalinate. Mm. salt water into sweet water and that's basically what every boat needs in order to be self-sufficient yeah? mm. damn man uh, i mean yeah of course you can't shower with 
with salt water that messes your hair up and stuff like that. As far yeah. as like, like again, I don't know. I don't know much about the sea and stuff. My family is big into sailing. Uh, my cousin, my dad, but it's for me like boats. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm just too young. I'm not a fan of boats. Not not really my thing. And um, so, you know, kind of like one of the main things, what is kind of like the main thing that people ask you when they meet you or when they talk to you? What is like the most annoying question you get? Well, first is, are you really so tall? Yeah, that's what most people don't uh, don't see when I, they see me on pictures or on, on videos like this. Um, they always surprised when they see me. Oh, you're so tall. Are you playing basketball? Uh -huh. That's definitely the most annoying question. I have a good counterattack. I always ask them, do you play mini goals? <laughs> um, but um, other than that, of course, it's mostly the questions related to what I'm doing, related to taxes. So most people uh, who know me when they see me, they always have a question, which is nice. I like to help people, uh, but sometimes, uh, yeah, uh, people just like ask me for one hour over all the situation mm. uh, in a room with hundred other people who also have like little questions. So that can get mm. annoying. Yeah? We interrupt this conversation for a quick shameless plug. If you like this podcast so far, give it a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. So Christopher Arman and I, we're having a great conversation. And if you like it, wherever you're listening to it, Apple Podcast, Spotify, give it a five-star rating. Leave a review if the platform allows it. Just whatever you're writing, it would mean the world for me. It would be so amazing. We're getting so many great reviews, and I love it. So thank you so much. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it, it was already crazy for me, and, and I was, quote, unquote, only giving dating advice, and now I'm a business consultant. So, yeah, it can get quite annoying. So here, here's one thing that I always wondered, <clears throat> because the people that you're mostly consulting, at least the people I send you um, on, you know, minimizing taxes, optimizing taxes, well, people that kind of like travel, so, of course, it's easier for us to be, okay, set up an LLC here, go have your, your, your center of life over there, and so on and so forth. Is it even possible for just like a random person living in Germany, having a nine-to-five job, to do anything there with their taxes? It's possible, but it really depends what, what he's working for. Like, if you employ it, of course, um, basically everything is deducted by the employer, and you don't really have to do, can do things yourself. Mm. So it's often an idea if you employ it to change into like a freelance position for the same company, uh, because mm -hmm. then you can structure yourself in a way that you might have uh, better taxation options. Mm. And uh, then, of course, it's not only the tax. I mean, you can always optimize something. That's the, the nice thing about my business. I always say I want to reach every people around the world. Every German can have a consulting with me and I can have him at least protecting his assets in a like bank account outside of Germany. Um, if I can't help him with taxes, uh, but in the end, uh, probably only 1%, even less than 1% of the population really wants my services because mm -hmm. the other want the security of the system. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's totally fine, but it's the way the world works. Yeah? Have you seen <clears throat> an uptick in people asking for your services after COVID? Have you seen more people being fed up with the system or being scared of it or anything like that? Yeah, definitely. Um, you could really feel that after COVID, um, mm. even during COVID, um, but after even more. And I mean, it's not only COVID, it's uh, a lot of other things going wrong in, in, in many Western societies, which make uh, people think about their options and uh, make them leave more and more. 
And some people are really negatively motivated, uh, but a lot of people are also positively motivated. They just want to see the world. Um, they they just see better options in other countries for their business and themselves, mm. and um, are not that annoyed by the system like others. So I, I find both positions legitimate, mm. ideally. Um, yeah, and you can find a solution for everything. Yeah, it's freaking interesting, man. I so, always say basically the newspapers are my best marketing. Yeah, I don't need Instagram <laughs> and so on. Um, just open a newspaper, read what's in there, and you have the best reasons to pick a book or consulting with me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, didn't you also have? I I always see you reposting where someone tries to shit talk you on the news or on some articles. And it's funny because you're just like repost, like someone literally like saying like, yeah, Christopher Herman guy. He's, you know, he does the, he's a COVID denier and blah, blah, blah. And they always like try to like, like tarnish your reputation, <laughs> but you always just like repost it and probably get a bunch of people as your clients after that. Yeah, I mean, that was like my approach to media, uh, which some people would say is not wise, but for me, it's very beneficial. <laughs> I already felt that back then when I was studying, uh, I was studying in, in Constance. Uh, back then in 2013, I was doing like a university group, like a libertarian university group. And uh, the like local student parliament tried to prohibit us because we were Nazis. Yeah, We were like right-wing extremists, uh, although we just had like events about freedom. Mm. And uh, back then I had my first article. The article was something like that. Um, enemies of the constitution um, make, make an event, something like that. And it was like yeah. big in the news. And that of course didn't uh, like damage us. At the next event we had like 30 people more. And um, <laughs> I of course always have this in mind uh, when it comes out to my business. Um, there's no bad press. Yeah, I mean, I had this the Galileo documentation that's already six years ago in German TV. Yeah, it's mm. kind of like a documentary about my life. And they really tried to make me um, look like a, like a beggar, basically, like a homeless without money to, to buy proper clothes and so on, mm. um, trying to evade taxes on, on like, yeah, everything. Mm. And in the end, that didn't damage my reputation or my, my business at all. It was the best uh, promotion <laughs> I could wish for, yeah. Wait, hold on. I didn't even know about that. So Galileo, for, for the international folks, it's actually a... It used to be one of my favorite shows. It's like a science documentary show where they have like different yeah. topics. So they came up to you and they said, hey, can we do a documentary about you? It's going to be epic. It's going to be amazing. And then you said, yes. Yeah, they, they showed me the script. It looked all very nice. And um, they were actually coming to, to Panama back then. I had like a vacation in Panama with a couple of other people and uh, like a nice villa and so on. And then they made this uh, documentary. It was like very um, like... Um, evil methods like for example they they put me in the pool with a cocktail glass in my hand very cold pool and after like half an hour i started to tremble oh. and then like they, they really did the focus or like uh, we were running like kilometers along the beach at some point like my my shoelaces uh, went went off and um they totally did the camera on it so basically they wanted to make a yeah, like I said, uh, they wanted to make a very bad image of me, like a homeless, uh, some kind of guy who, who doesn't really get his life in, in order. And um, But in the end, I mean, most people are clever enough and they easily see that in TV, that it's completely scripted. Yeah. So well, they already... Scripted, but, um, yeah. So 
so they already it was not like a decision that they made when cutting like oh let's cut all the good stuff out you think they already had the intention of like hey let's make this guy look as bad as possible when they came to film um because i mean i saw the script it uh, said something completely different and when it was recorded it was fine and the team was nice but what was cut out of it and i mean Mm. we had like 24 hours of material and they did like a 12 minute documentary or something like that yeah obviously they just put the very bad parts together yeah did some like um voice from from the off which was what was explaining something but yeah. it all didn't really make sense it didn't even make proper research yeah motherfuckers it's funny because uh just earlier this year i think it was either earlier this year or last year i was in cyprus and i got i um they messaged me on Instagram. What 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 channel was it? Do you remember? It was a German. It was a relatively big German channel. The one that always played Formula One. Uh, the, anyway, some really big German channel. And they're like, hey, we're doing this documentary about people that are influencers and that are online entrepreneurs making money online. La di da. And I've had bad experiences with mainstream media as well. And, and I'm already like, and then i'm like oh and then like no no the top on a call will explain right and i'm like okay well you know call doesn't hurt and for me it was also like even if they make me look bad it could still be good for the business so i hopped on so we we made a call um we had a calendar call like literally she invited me via calendar link the date time comes nobody calls me and I'm like, all right, not my problem. We were in Cyprus. We were shooting videos. And then, like, I think, like, a couple hours later, she's like, hey, I'm so sorry. I messed up the thing. And I'm just like, I'm like, yo, like, it. you'd think that someone from a big German TV channel would be able to freaking stick to a calendar. I mean, it was scheduled on her calendar, you know? And I just dissed them. I'm like, you do this with every uh, appointment? Like, I thought you, you guys are the legit ones, and I'm the weird internet guy here, like, I, I was there at the appointment and then she's like, no, no, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Let's still do the calls. So help on a call. And I just asked him like, Hey, listen, like how many viewers do you guys even get your mainstream media? Like I know that it's not going so well for you guys. And I know that I'm getting hundreds of thousands of views on my reels on Instagram. Are you guys even getting more? Like who's giving whom, who's giving whom the exposure here? And yeah. she refused to give me her numbers. She said she doesn't know. And I'm like, I'm sure, you know, like, it's your freaking show, man. And she's like, no, my editor knows. I'm like, okay, go ask your editor. And she's like, okay, I'll email you. And then, of course, she emails me. She says, I, I I, don't know our numbers. They only knew the market share that they have. Like, oh, we have like freaking whatever, 15% viewer share. And I'm like, I don't care about the percent. Tell me how many people are watching yeah. this stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I honestly think like mainstream media is... It's so much less relevant than it's been, and it will still become even less relevant. And they're not understanding it. Like mainstream media, like everything about mainstream media that they're doing is wrong. They're doing it in a worse and worse and worse way. If you look at this whole thing, like I'm sure you've maybe you followed it. This whole like Joe Rogan versus CNN thing that happened during the pandemic too. So on one hand, you have CNN with 90 second clickbaity clips. Joe Rogan is eating horse dewarmer and uh, he's he's trying to become healthy instead of getting vaccinated because he's eating the horse dewarmers. And then they literally took a, the video where he said, hey, guys, I have COVID. 
and they put a color filter on him to make his his skin look like pale and yellow. And then and so and that's CNN. And, you know, they get like whatever, a couple hundred thousand of views per TV show. And then Joe Rogan is like on his show where he gets like millions of downloads. And he's like, hey, by the way, guys, this is the actual video. And this is the video that they put on <laughs> CNN with filters. And by the way, um, I forgot what it, what is it that, that he took um, the horse dewormers? He's like, that's actually not a horse. Like this is actually on the website of the WHO. Uh, the guy who made this medicine that I took uh, got a Nobel Prize. It's on the on the WHO um, a website as like medicine that has, that has saved millions of lives, like uh, ivermectin. That was it. And he's like, it's not a freaking horse dewormer, you idiots. And I'm not saying who's right and who's wrong, but what I can see from a marketing perspective is the mainstream media still acts like they can say whatever they want. And other people don't have the platform to convince people about the truth, but that's not true anymore. Mainstream media is still behaving as like they could actually lie to you and people will never find out, but that's not the case anymore. But what mainstream media does is instead of learning from long form content like podcasts, they're just doubling down on their bullshit way of doing media, which is 90 second reels, highlight stuff. Let's go. Just have this guy say something provocative. And they're digging their own grave. And especially with things like this of like, hey, we're mainstream media. We have way more money. We have way more people. We have way more resources. Let's use these resources to do proper legitimate journalism and actually research things and provide people with a highly researched, nuanced way of the truth. No, they're not interested in that. We're, we're rather just bullshit people until we're caught lying and when we're caught lying we double down on that and then and then they're complaining when they have to let go of 20 percent of their staff they're they're complaining that they need to have more and more sponsors for their propaganda machine because they otherwise can't afford to survive as a business in and of itself well then at least try to adapt to the new world to this new fast-paced online media landscape where it is important for you to show a nuanced parts nuanced angles of each and every issue where it is important to have long-form conversations with experts instead of just 20 second news things oh sponsored by so and so and um it's again like to go full circle christoph it's like it's always cool to see guys like you who are completely independent of everything i mean it, it can't it can barely get any more independent than what you are and you're thriving you're crushing it both on a personal level as well as on a business level and that's really freaking inspiring to see man yeah thank you um i mean i will continue this journey um still a lot of goals business-wise personal-wise uh, so let's see where that leads me again in the next couple of years i mean mm -hmm. plans change um travel is still important for me but it gets less and less important now things like family are coming up popping up in future Mm. Uh, let's see uh, what crazy things I do in that direction. Yeah. What um what are your plans business wise? What are your goals? Yeah. So in the end, um, I always said like this organic approach. I wanted to to grow slowly but steadily. Like I don't uh, really. I mean, I could work twelve hours a day and earn much more money. But in the end, I often wait for like nice opportunities to come to me. People uh, like coming to me, making. Uh, 
uh, yeah, making a collaboration. For example, two years ago, a friend of me asked me if I want to do something with insurance uh, for him. Nowadays, nowadays, we have actually the largest growing insurance provider in all of Europe uh, because we sell so many health insurances internationally and so on. Uh, uh, probably in a couple of years, we have our own insurance for all these products. So like this business is branching out in a lot of directions. Yeah, you heard some of my investment projects like the walnut plantation or my vineyard in Argentina. But yeah, I also have like a mine in the Black Forest. I have a lot of, uh, I don't know, black um, holiday homes in Turkey on, on Airbnb. I have many other interesting investments. And of course, I use my reach, my audience to market some of these investments I'm part of. And um, yeah, develop the business in a lot of other directions. Mm. And it's not only about taxes and residencies. It really goes much deeper in many, many areas, especially in the like investment and asset protection side of things. For example, just last week I was in Switzerland visiting a client. He invited me to like kind of a, a storage uh, where they do art deals. I didn't mm. even know about that, but basically all rich people around the world store their art in Switzerland. Mm. And art is a great investment, basically anonymous. Um, so yeah, you can wash money basically over this London money, um, over art and um it's a great investment. I never thought about like buying a, like a, a picture from 50 years ago, but it couldn't be such a great investment in these times. Uh, so probably now I buy buy pictures there as well. So hey, that's that's actually one thing that is that I'm super curious about. You know, I'm at a level where, you know, I'm 33 now. So far, the most investments that I've done were in myself, in my businesses, in my brand, paid advertising, and so on and so forth. Then I started, I mean, 2017, I also bought a bunch of crypto um, before before it went up, just before it went up. And I bought like Bitcoin at like 8,000 or something like that, which back then I already thought I'm so late, you know. Um, and then I bought some gold. But I'm at a level where I'm slowly also kind of thinking about, okay, I want to diversify more, you know. I mean, right now it's still the biggest return of investment is still if I invest in my own company, the the immediate investment, you know, I made between 4x and, you know, 8x on, on every dollar that I put in. But at the same time, I kind of want to diversify. Um, but one um, one obstacle that I see a lot is like my expertise is clearly business consulting, you know, marketing, branding, and so on and so forth. And if I would start investing into uh, other fields now, I would start from zero. How did you tackle that? How did you get such, I mean, I guess that you are pretty well-versed in all the things that you did invest in. So my question is like, what does your, what does your research phase look like? What does your learning phase look like when you're looking at new investments and how fast do you go? How fast do you take that step from, okay, I know enough from like, I don't know anything, but I guess it's lucrative to, I know enough, let's go throw some money into it. I mean, I get every day, I get 10 requests from people asking me for money, yeah, invest this, invest that. And with most people, I don't even speak um, because I relatively uh, fast see if this is interesting or not. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what I'm investing is mostly people-based. So it's often people I already know for some time who then maybe do something interesting and ask, or maybe you kind of participate. And um, that's uh, how, how it how it worked uh, for, for a long time. Then sometimes that's not the only project, other project comes and then I say, oh, maybe uh, this uh, like other investment is very good so far. Um, 
what the people do is great. So of course I also do the new project. Mm-hmm. And um, in the end, um, like all my investments are very illiquid. Yeah, I put the money in and then it's gone and then I have to wait five years, 10 years to get anything out of it. I still do quite a lot of crypto. I'm also like a co-founder of some startups in the crypto area, which is also great. Um, so it's not only like Staatenlos business, it's some other businesses running parallel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but there I'm just like doing the legal stuff. Um, caring for the tax freedom of crypto for the company with mostly German co-founders and things like that. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, like my lifestyle uh, uh, gives me very good options in that area. Yeah. So I hear definitely out there, like it's, I love what you said that it's kind of people based of like, Hey, is this some, is the proposal coming from someone that I trust that I believe is competent and, and so on and so forth. But, yeah, then... but it's really depending on the countries as well. Uh, like um, I have so many things in different countries. So I probably have my life and like going on in 30 different countries. And at some point I also felt it got too much. Yeah. So now I'm like trying to, to, to narrow it down, not to start new projects in new countries, but rather stay in existing countries. If I do like a new agriculture project, I maybe stay in Georgia. Or if I stay, um, if I do something, other new things, I try to stay in the new countries because even now, probably I need a month uh, to visit all my projects, all my investments, uh, just to see if everything is right. Yeah. But like you said, it's people based. You really need to choose a good business partner living locally for what I'm doing and uh, who is basically able to do everything. And so far, that's working very good for me. Yeah. I don't even have real estate because with real estate, I always have to risk that. Things are not running that well, that I have mm-hmm. to travel there, that I have to uh, break up my travel plans in order to get uh, the money or get the rent out of the flat and things like that. But I don't have these problems with my current investments. So. Do you, so do, how much research do you do before you invest money in it? Is it based on, tr- I trust that person, here's my money, you go for it? Or do you read up on stuff yourself just to be able to understand enough so you're not fucked over? Or how exactly does that work? Yeah, of course, you always do some research. I'm quite a rational person. I, I do a lot of research in order to to see if it's suitable for me, if uh, like the promises have some uh, valid, validity. Um, but then it's mostly gut feeling. Yeah? I don't mm-hmm. decide over weeks. I often say, uh, yeah, you have my money, let's do that, yeah? No shit. Do you have any sort of like mental checklist that you go through? Like, this is what a, a project needs to fulfill for me to put my money into it? I mean, it, it needs to be a bit crazy. Yeah, it needs to to have a big vision and um, needs to, um, yeah, it should be something which is not really tried before, I would say. Yeah, it should be like a, like a bigger vision, um, but it should have like, um, like I explained with the walnuts, yeah. We basically do the same business as people do in other countries, but we can do it five times cheaper. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's a business case. Yeah, if the walnut farmers in California are profitable, if we can do it five times cheaper, then of course we are profitable as well. And um, like these kinds of comparisons, and I have these comparisons from my travel lifestyle, uh, from like traveling around the world with open eyes. Yeah, I don't watch on my phone all the time. I watch out of the window and see what's going on. Yeah, back then I was, for example, in the Comoros Islands in the, in the ocean uh, on a vanilla plantation. I wanted to start a vanilla plantation as well. In the end, um, like the guy I spoke with, 
uh, scammed me over 200 euros. Yeah, he had the opportunity to sell to for the 200 euros to send me like vanilla extract to Germany so I could test it in a laboratory to see if it's good and then start a business. He um, preferred to keep the 200 euros, not start a business. Yeah, damn guy uh, in the end. Um, but um, you always have to put some little money at risk um, yeah. in order to profit um, in other ways. Yeah. Hmm. Damn, man. It was so interesting that you said like you're you're traveling with open eyes and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that helps you with, you know, how we say like common sense, you know, like street smartness. How much, because you also studied, and I don't even know what you studied, but how did, did your studies help you in any way of, on the things that you're doing right now? Well, it's kind of a funny story because what did I study? I studied statism or better said i studied public management and governance science so mm -hmm. basically i studied um, how to become a government official and um, well the last two years i i wasn't really studying anymore i completed a bachelor but uh, the last two years i had a very like big reading program um, i think i read like 120 books in one year i have all these mm -hmm. books listed on my website or like self-help literature from business marketing psychology history, biographies, and that really helped me to get like a broader perspective and uh, mm -hmm. get new skills in order to, to start a business. Yeah, because what I need for like online business, uh, I got not taught in school or in uni. Yeah? And uh, that's always like my advantage, even in the area I'm working in. It's a lot of knowledge. And um, I was always like a very avid reader. I uh, always was a very fast reader. I can process information very fast and explain it relatively well to other people. And so I have a like kind of kind of an advantage in this bureaucratic topics uh, my business is about. Yeah. That's so epic, man. For for me, it's it's the polar opposite. You know, I uh, I came to Vienna as a as an aspiring musician. I studied musicology at first. Um, then I had uh, tendonitis on my on my left arm, and then I've got it on my right arm as well. So you know, a bunch of doctors told me I'll never be able to play guitar anymore, which I now can, by the way. But that kind of like put that into my perspective of like, hey, if you want to become a musician, you're so dependent on your physical health that something as small as practicing too much ruins your arms and your whole skill is you know gone. And then, you know, and that made me really depress depressive because I was, you know, my whole, my, my whole purpose in life was gone. And then out of that depression as a young guy, um, you don't think about like, hey, my per I've been deprived of my purpose and that's why I'm deprived of happiness. No, as a young guy in his early 20s, I was like, I'm depressed because I don't have a girlfriend. So I was like, I was like, okay, um, but I'm also really shy and I'm really socially awkward. So I just like you, like I just read a bunch of books on social dynamics. I started applying it. I started going out, you know, I'd like ask a girl for her number and crazy things like that. And then I started sharing my experiences on uh, on the forum. Like back then, like internet forums were still big. And then I started getting my first clients. They paid me like 150 bucks per month per, per, per day for like a day of coaching them. And for me, that was a ton of money. And uh, then I start, started studying Latin and English because for that, I didn't need my arms. I was like, it's something that I'm really interested in. I love languages. And then I thought maybe I could become a teacher, a professor for, for languages um, in high school. So while I studied that, that was kind of like the 
the conservative thing that I worked on, I was also working on being a coach on the internet and getting clients from the freaking internet. And, and then I started doing like little seminars and I'll never forget that it was at the, the A and O hotel, the Island o, o hotel on the uh, main train station, central station of, of Vienna. You could rent a, you could literally rent a, uh, a seminar room for like 50 people for like 90 euros for half a day. So I rented that seminar room and I said, I was posting on the forum, hey, if you're from Vienna, I'm going to give a seminar about whatever texting, I think, you know, like what to text the girl to go on her first date. Three people showed up and I was like, holy shit, three people. And then I said, just said, hey, guys, just I'll do it again, like in two weeks. Everybody bring a friend. So next time I had nine people show up and I was like, holy shit, nine. And I was always happy about that. I And it's kind of like what you said. It's like, I didn't have a problem with re not reaching thousands of people. I wanted to grow organically and just do my best every time. And I was as hyped when I had three people there as years later when I had 2,000 people in a freaking hall. I was just as happy. I was like, there's people who want to learn from me. And, and that was really freaking amazing. So yeah, it's very interesting. I actually had my first seminar in Vienna as well. I think that was in 2016. I got like nice. 15 people. And that was like the first time we really had money. Yeah, I mean, I had humble beginnings the first two years of my business, uh, basically sleeping in youth hostels, sharing my room with 10 other guys who wanted to party all the time. And I was like crazily writing my 3000 word article every day in order to get some traffic. <laughs> And I did it for quite a long time. I mean, when I started consulting in 2015, I charged like $50. And uh, back then I wasn't even too shy to do like consultings over the phone. Um, I was starting with like written uh, consultings. Oh. Like it took me like four hours to write everything down and <laughs> I charged like $50, yeah. And over time, of course, that developed, I charged more and more and had like this mental barriers in my head. And I thought, oh, I'm like, even back then I did like $1,000, $2,000 a month and I could live my travel lifestyle, not yeah. in like Iceland or the US, but in like Eastern Europe and Asia. And I already did the, the, the life I wanted for myself. Yeah. And then of course it got bigger and bigger and uh, the barriers in my head uh, shifted. And then it was not like 2000, then it was 5,000, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000. And I mean, it's still like this. Now I'm in the yeah, quite high area. Um, but uh, I, I would say, yeah, my business cannot earn like 10 million a year. Probably it can. It's just like a mental barrier and mm -hmm. I may overcome it soon. You know, that's, that it's such a beautiful thing, man. It's And I don't know if you and I have that because we're like German and Austrian households, you know, this like humility of just being humble. And But like, I'm so grateful that I've always been happy no matter where on the stage I was. And I hear the same from you of like, I was hyped when I talked to three people and I was hyped when I was on a freaking world tour and I had like people chanting my name. And now I'm just as hyped when I'm not doing the flashy stuff anymore. You know, I work with my clients online. I don't do public speaking anymore. I still do traveling. I make more money than before, but it's, it's, it's less of a cool flashy lifestyle. I've always been really happy. And I feel the same from you as well, that you're just content with wherever you are. And I, I hear this deeply rooted trust that you have in yourself, in your capabilities, in your skill set. Or if you don't have the skill set yet, you have this deep trust in your own learning that whatever you don't understand yet, you just understand it at some point. And that's really freaking cool, man. Yes. I mean, when I started out, of course, I had some worries, but I said basically, 
Um, yeah, back then after studies, I had like $3,000 on my bank account. I bought a one-way ticket to Mexico and uh, in like six months, I traveled Mexico down to Colombia and I started up my business Yeah, with very low uh, things in the beginning. I basically said, uh, now I write a book and I sell the book and get rich overnight. Yeah, in the end, my book, uh, I think had uh, 200 euros generated and uh, well I said now I make the book for free people can download it uh, if they give me their email uh, but that was basically the start of my consulting business because mm. I saw our people are actually interested they won't buy it but they 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 get it like for free and they read it and say oh this guy has some expertise um, this is a nice niche uh, he can consult me and that's how everything started yeah and uh, then of course the more books I wrote um, the more authority I got, and uh, after a couple of books, I was kind of the expert in the in the German area about this. Mm. Um, not like a tax consultant with like a license and so on, but still people are coming to me because I offer things like no tax consultant can offer the people in terms yeah. of experience and knowledge. Hell yeah, because you live it. You don't need a fucking certificate. You live what all the people that are your followers or your clients want to live this pure fucking freedom is it is there anything and i know you gotta go you have like 15 more minutes right or something like that yeah we're a bit flexible it can be a bit longer but yeah perfect perfect okay. okay that's good so is there anything that you're that worries you in your life there's nothing i'm really worrying about i would say like in terms of my own like which is related to myself because i think i can always find a solution i can uh, live with uh, some some tragedies in my life if they happen uh, and um, yeah i might uh, be be down for a couple of, of of days but i can easily uh yeah wake up again and enjoy life so i mean I don't really have worries of the future. I see uh, like the future of, I don't know, Germany quite negatively, but my mm. own one I see quite gloriously yeah? because uh, if there's a crisis in like your home country and other countries, it's mostly opportunity. Uh, if you see this crisis uh, long before it happens and if you adapt and react. Uh, so like everything which is related to myself, which I can control, um, there's nothing I'm really worrying about. Yeah. What do you think, because you mentioned Germany, what do you think is gonna happen to Germany? What do you What do you think is gonna go down the drain? Well, it's a, like a slow decay over the last couple of years already. Basically, it's all ever since I started my business. And back then, in two fifteen, uh, many uh, people said, "Oh, this guy is crazy. He is so much lifestyle. We are in such a great system and the best Germany of all times." And many of those people even nowadays write me and said, oh, Christopher, you were so right in the beginning. Um, I should have heard on you. I should have sold my real estate because now the people cannot sell their uh, houses anymore uh, or only with very, very high discounts, uh, much less than what they bought. So, um, yeah, you have a decay in many areas, politically, economically, culturally. And I think they... There will be better times in future, but um, some systems, some countries really need to to experience because still many people have quite a good life in Germany, in Austria and so on, and they don't really feel it. But now more and more people start to feel it, and that will, of course, bring positive change as well. I mean, mm. I quite like Germany. I would say Germany could be the best country of the world. It has a like, very hardworking, um, experienced, competent people. But uh, yeah, um, they are too obedient, I would say, 
<laughs> and the leaders fuck fuck up everything. <laughs> uh, do you think it's the same for the US? Yeah, I mean the, the US is uh, it's a bit different. It's, it's another system. It's a bit more decentralized. Um, so it has more variety. Uh, it has like much more um, like risk taking. They have a completely other approach to entrepreneurial stuff than like Europe. Um, so the US will always adapt and um, yeah, uh, go 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 forward. Uh, so I don't think the US has this problem. It has other problems also like politically, mm. um, but I would say um, people in the US or at least in some states of the US, uh, it's much easier to adapt to like changing uh, geopolitics and changing developments in the world there. Mm. I mean, you know, hearing about I'm I'm not super pol political because I have a very similar stance to you. It's like taking care of myself, taking care of my environment, my family, my spouse, my friends, my clients. That's it. Like I've had I mean we've seen it during COVID. I was like this sucks. I'm just going to go wherever it's it's nice to have these options, but I'd still be curious for you like do you, what do you think like what country is going to do the best over the next 10, 20, 50 years? Well, it's, it's very hard to say because um, uh, most countries change their leaders every four years and then they can go in another direction. Uh, I would say those countries which have like very bad experience with totalitarian regimes, communist regimes, could do relatively well in future. Mm. Yeah, For example, you see it in some Asian countries like Vietnam. Uh, they are doing very well. Most of the country is very capitalist. Uh, all, all the people really see and want to work hard and see that they grow the country with it. Uh, so I think some Asian countries are good, some Eastern European countries as well. Like if I see, for example, Poland, um, how the country developed in the last years. In most parts, Poland is now much higher quality of life than Germany. Mm. And even countries like mm. Ukraine, I mean, you lived in Kiev, Mm. Um, now, of course, we have a bad situation with the war, but uh, that will be over at some point as well. Mm. And then I think countries like Ukraine will boom a lot as well and have a very good development. Huh? I noticed it. I was just in Poland and I'm like, damn, it's beautiful there. Like, I still had this in my head, this this image of like poor country, shitty, you know, super low quality, life, everything. No, it was beautiful. It was like thriving economically people spoke english and the thing is like many parts of the of the education in eastern europe are way better than germany and austria and yeah. I, i've also heard this from a lot of ukrainians that fled to you know like kids that, that were still going to school in ukraine and then they go to school in germany and austria and they're like your math is so easy what the hell is going on like i'm like way uh, way above everybody else in my class with math and mathematics is really freaking important the only thing that ukraine is lacking from my experience, it's just languages. Mm -hmm. There's there like English is practically non-existent. Weirdly enough, more people spoke German than English, kind of as a second language. A lot of old people, obviously, from like World War II era. Um, but um, I honestly also think I just talked about this earlier uh, with some with some people from my team. Like when the war is over, depending on on how it's going to end in Ukraine. But I'm assuming there's either going to be a total collapse of Russia sooner or later, or Putin is just gonna, you know, pull the hands break, the emergency break, and basically say, okay, we're gonna keep whatever the land that we've um, 
uh, that we've invaded so far that we can keep. We're going to keep that. And then there's going to be some sort of handshake concession kind of thing where Ukraine gives up a little bit of their land and Russia takes a small win. And then, you know, maybe Putin um, will like blame a lot, put, pull the blaming game on some of his generals and so on and so forth. And then basically say, yeah, all I wanted to have was these areas anyways. But what's going to happen then is I think very quickly, Ukraine is going to join the EU. Ukraine is going to be massively westernized and opening up to the West. And that means a lot of the workforce in Ukraine that is still in Ukraine right now will be able to flood into Europe. And we already know that when the first flood of, 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 of uh, refugees came from Ukraine, a lot of people wanted to have a lot of the higher educated people, engineers, programmers, people in IT, and so on and so forth, because those guys are highly educated. They have really good work ethic. And um, they're much cheaper. They're used to much lower pay. Um, but at the same time, still, a lot of these people are still there because males are not allowed to leave the country. But once that stuff is over and Ukraine will be open up to the West, that's going to be very interesting. I think Ukraine is going to be westernized radically in a good way. I, I want Ukraine to be westernized. I want. Yeah, I mean, I was part. a lot in Ukraine before the war. Actually, my girlfriend is Ukrainian as well. And um, I have, uh, yeah, I, I like the country a lot. And um, I think um, they have good people there as well mm. who have a good approach to business, to entrepreneurial stuff, and yeah. they will create the right conditions um, to really massively get investors and also get their own people back from other countries. Even now, I, I know a lot of people, even uh, they don't like Germany. Uh, mm. They even see in, in like war-torn Ukraine, the life in Kiev is better mm. than like in Berlin or in Hamburg. And even if they have to live with bombs every night, they rather go back to Kiev because mm. they have a better uh, quality of life there. It's crazy. I was in Berlin in, in May um, and I was also surprised. I, I took one wrong turn and I got in some sort of ghetto area that was literally drug addicts on the street taking drugs, just lying on the street. I was like, this is Germany? What the hell? I have no, I, I don't know what area that was, but I was massively surprised. Like, yo, that's the capital of Germany. What, what's going on? And um, I hear it more and more also about Vienna getting worse. I haven't seen anything bad in Vienna yet. And I'm very open-minded. I don't mind if there's different cultures there. What's really bothering me if, it, if I see a lot of crime. Like if you feel that whatever the low vibration energy um, and I see a lot of that in LA. I used to live in LA from 2013 ish to 15 and LA was already bad back then. And apparently now it's way, way, way worse. I'm not sure. Have you ever been to LA? I've been to LA. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big friend of these big cities either. Mm. And I, I would probably say uh, most people have a very like, um, bad, poor understanding of the risks involved in, in certain countries. And I think if they go to like Afghanistan or North Korea or even countries like Brazil, it's so risky. There's so much murder. But I would say probably all, all, every, all every there, it's, it's uh, safer than in like LA or in Paris mm. or even Berlin. Mm. Uh, yeah, because yeah, there is crime in, in many of these, these cities, but it's very restricted. While in Europe, it's very hard to, to calculate, or in, in, in LA, it's very hard to calculate where the crime happens. It can happen everywhere. Mm. Yeah. That's actually a good point. Like, yeah, like I hear it a lot in Brazil that it's like if you go to favelas, that's where all the crime is. I never thought about it, but in Europe, it could just happen anywhere, man. You could freaking. Yeah, win. that's always what, what I'm saying. Yeah, in Germany, um, I know generally nothing will happen, but Things can happen anywhere at any time. 
Mm. Uh, so I can never be really safe in Latin America. Yeah, I was never robbed in Latin America living there or traveling there for a couple of years so combined. Um, you know, if you go to that place, even in broad daylight, you will be robbed. Just don't go there. Uh, go to another part, even drunk at night, you won't be robbed. Yeah, there it's just clear that, that nothing will, will happen, more or less. And you always have like this sense of uh, like hate and awareness, like uh, what I already mentioned. Uh, in like Germany, in your home country, you don't really have that, and things can happen anytime. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. I have I have a lot of friends that were in South America. They loved it. And now what I kind of feel like is a lot of people are in Thailand right now. A lot of my online marketing friends and so on, they're just they just moved to Thailand. They're like, yo, Bangkok is amazing. I yeah, value Thailand your is a great country, it's a very nice tax haven. Many people don't know about you mm. can live completely tax-free in Thailand. And many of my clients are doing that as well. So yes, Thailand is interesting for me. I'm not a big Asian lover. I already mentioned the time zones. It's also about the food. Mm. I'm not like a big Thai food uh, guy. I prefer it more down in Brazil or Argentina. I have my nice steak, have my red wine. <laughs> I enjoy the like uh, atmosphere there, the, the culture. That's just more my thing. But of course, many people enjoy it more in Asia. And uh, yeah. Thailand is a great uh, destination for that, definitely. Yeah. I might, I might give it a visit. What I'd be super hyped about, what I've always wanted and will do maybe next year is uh, live in Hawaii. I've I visited Hawaii a couple times, Big Island, uh, Oahu, and Kauai. I think it was there three or four times. I loved it there. I don't know. I just, it's a magical place. It's like Iceland, as magical as Iceland, but warmer, you know, like more tropical climate. So maybe we'll go to like Hawaii, stay there for three months and then hop from there to Thailand or something like that. Because I'm very European. I love the, the European places. I'm not big onto this like tropical island stuff, but I think I think I'm just getting ready to do it. Yeah, I can really understand you with that, can feel you with that. Um, Hawaii was like when I started making a bit more money, was one of my first destinations. Mm. I stayed in the islands for one month, so like uh, one week each in the four bigger islands. Mm. And it's still a good time, I remember uh, very vividly. And then actually this year I'm coming back and End of October, I'll probably be in Hawaii again. No shit. What island are you going to be? Um, I'm actually doing some Pacific islands probably, but uh, it's not clear yet. Um, maybe visit Oahu, Kauai. I really like Big Island. I have very good memories there, like snorkeling, yeah. hundreds of manta rays at night, oh. things like that. So I still have that in my mind, so I want to do it again. It's a magical place. It's such a the vibes. I don't know, like the you know the energy or whatever if you want to call it is so good there, and the people are so friendly too. I really, really love it. One thing that always kind of bothers me when you go to um, poor countries and you stay in a nice resort, it's like you like you're staying there in the five star resort, and the person who whatever cleans your bed sheets lives in some little hut, and I always found that juxtaposition weird. It almost made me feel bad. But in Hawaii, it's different because it's still the U.S. So it's not like people live in poverty and serve you. It's just like you're there and people are legitimately aloha. Like they're not saying it because you're a dumb tourist. They're like they're living it. And that makes me very hyped. And I remember when, when we stayed in Big Island, we rented an Airbnb. That was back then when Airbnb was new. You know, you could rent a huge house for like 200 bucks a night. And we rented it off these like two hippies that were like, yeah, we're from San Diego. We moved here 15 years ago. We built our own farm. We're self-sustained. And then we built this house and now we're renting it. And it was so freaking amazing. Like, that's what I love about this place, you know? 
Yeah, I was recently invited for like a German touristic award uh, to the jury. And uh, we actually uh, made Big Island the best adventure destination of 2023. No uh, so it's definitely, and I, I was like leading in that decision to make it there. So uh, yeah, I, I really like Big Island as well. <laughs> that That's also where the Keck Observatory is, I think. Is that on Big Island? The big ass observatory? Yeah, yeah, the, the Star Observatory, that's on Big Island on the volcano. Yeah. That's, yes, exactly. Hell yeah. I mean, I got to go there. I'm, I'm just going to make, I'm just going to pull the trigger. It's probably, you maybe feel that it's like when you have something in your head for a very long time, I want to go, I want to go. And then you're like, you know what? I'll just pull the freaking trigger. Probably that's what you did with the boat too. You know, like I'm just pulling Yeah, the I mean, that sometimes happens for me as well. Um, when I have nothing to do, basically I, I, I just search flights. I, I search hotels. I already plan the routes I trade take. And then often it happens that I don't plan. I just book, I just pay. And then often I have like um, 20 flights and one evening I book. I just uh, like really get addicted into the, the travel game again and um yeah then i have to do it uh, because i already booked it <laughs> you you that's actually wait okay so, and we're gonna wrap things up soon i don't want to uh, you know waste much more of your time but do you do you don't have someone to book the travel for you don't have an assistant no, or i do everything with myself i have assistance for many other things but uh, this is for me what i like what i love and i do everything myself related to travel also mm. because i would say i'm quite knowledgeable and i can uh, do it far cheaper and uh, better mm. Uh, than if I if I would outsource it, probably even explaining it to other people would take more time than just <laughs> doing it myself. Yeah, it's yeah. very very straightforward for me planning my travels. Okay, that's interesting. For me, it's the opposite. I'm like, don't bother me. Find me a good flight. Make it first class. Like I, I it's not. I, I like the traveling, but I don't like the booking part of it. Um, didn't you also have you used to have this event? this Heureka event in, in, in Vienna every year or something like that. You still do that? I still do that. Yeah. I'm actually doing it this year in Georgia on my walnut plantation. Yo. So if you want to come, of course, you're invited. It's uh, happening in, in two weeks from now. And we do it in oh, Georgia, uh, four days, big conference in Tbilisi and uh, yeah, party on my walnut plantation. Oh, um, that will happen this year. Uh, I did it four times in Vienna. Uh, then I did it two times in Germany. Actually, last year I wanted to do it in Ukraine, in Lviv, in Ukraine, because I have some connections to the city as well. Due yeah. to the situation, we had relocated. I did it in my hometown in Germany, in Herford. Also great event. And now we really go to another country. Luckily, Georgia didn't, uh, yeah, wasn't invaded yet by Russia. So I think the event will take place. Yo, I might actually show up. What What are the dates? I'm gonna slap in my calendar. Um, that's actually um, 30th of uh, August to 3rd of September. Yo, I might <laughs> actually come, dude. I'm writing it down right now. I'll send that's you an amazing. invitation. And if you come, it would be a pleasure. That would that would be amazing, dude. I might I might actually take you up on that. Um, hey, last last thing that I wanted to ask you is, and it's kind of like for the, for the listeners or the watchers of this podcast, you have lived a life that like you live you live the life worth 30 other lives like you've seen more than anybody else you've experienced a lot more and you also made a ton of money while doing that what what's the biggest lesson what is the one thing where you say like hey that's one thing that really opened my eyes well, yeah, I would say it's always um, good to to explore yourself, uh, your own own, own feelings, uh, to really understand yourself. Yeah, most people 
uh, just live with themselves. They don't really understand themselves. And um, that makes it much easier to, to, to meet the right decisions in your life. And um, for me, it was a process, of course. I'm still working on that in, in, in several areas as well. Um, but I would say I, I did a lot of good decisions and um, could combine all these uh, cool aspects in my life. And I will do so in future. And I think most people are just too um, involved in their daily affairs and in their uh, whatever um, mass media and so on gives them. And uh, they should just make a nice uh, holiday uh, walk lonely at the beach, relax in a hot pool and think about uh, themselves and their life. And uh, yeah, uh, I think too, too little people actually do that. And I would say that would really would really change a lot. Yeah. Man, it's actually cool that you said that. Find yourself, chill in a pool, take a walk. Epic, man. Where, where can people find you? What is like the one thing where people should look you up? They say, hey, this sounds amazing. Hey, Christoph, can you help me? Websites? Well, I mean, Instagram. they can just Google my name and they find all the good and bad uh, mass media articles <laughs> about me, uh, but also my, my blog. And um, I mean, that's generally what I would recommend. Um, just go on my blog. Yeah, we have the German version, which is more known, startenlos.ch. But you also have the English version, denationalized.me, it's called. And uh, there we have everything available in English as well. We are also in other languages. Yeah, many people don't know that, but we are kind of the leading um provider in the spanish and uh, portuguese brazilian market as well um so um i have actually the business in seven different languages with like local yeah. partners i franchised it out so that's a kind of a good source of revenue for me as well um anyway um just yeah you find uh, find all the contact data there and contact me per email telegram whatsapp instagram linkedin whatever i'm basically awesome. everywhere not also what countries, but also social media and so on. <laughs> uh, we're going to slap all the links down in the description below. Christoph, you're a freaking legend, man. Um, can't wait to see you down in Georgia. Uh, let's make it happen. And uh, thanks for your time, dude. Yeah, thank you for the nice uh, interview. And looking forward to talk to you again in a couple of years. Hell yeah, man. Let's make it happen. All the best, man. Dude, let's stay in touch, man. Let's stay in touch, yes. All right. What a crazy life this Christoph Hormann guy leads. I'm so, so happy to count him amongst the people that I know. And if that inspires you and you say, hey, I want, I'm sick and tired of just being oppressed. I want to be free. I want to travel the world. The first step for you is to get in touch with us. You can ask us any question about how you can start building your own freedom business where you need to start it, what to offer, how you can monetize your skill, your passion. All you have to do is you head over to maxtorno.com forward slash call. You book your free call. You'll be patched through either directly with me or with an expert from my team. You can book it. There's a little calendar thingy. And then we can see how exactly can we help you generate income online so you're free, so you're on boss. We have a lot of people come to us. They have zero experience. They don't know where to get started. We can absolutely help you. We have a lot of people that come to us to say, hey, I kind of already make a little bit of money. Can you help me make more? Absolutely. If you're making zero money all the way up to 500K a month, we can help you because we've done it before. Let's go crush. Like I said, maxtorno.com forward slash call and talk to you soon.